Love, Follow, Share, Jesus. That's the series that we've been going through here at Fellowship. Welcome online. And uh, we are going through the book of Acts together. And uh, my name is Aaron, by the way, if we haven't met before. Uh, I would love to meet you, shake your hands, get to know you. Uh, I serve as one of the pastors here, and it's my joy to get to open up God's Word for us today. And this passage we're looking at, actually this, this talk, is, is the end of our series, uh, Love, Follow, Share, Jesus. And it's a it's just a crucial passage that makes sense of so much of what we've seen already so far. And, and I don't know if you uh, typically enjoy learning history or not. Are there any history buffs in here? People that just love history? No one? Okay, maybe one or two. Um, you know, when you turn on YouTube or Netflix or you, you're going to read a book, like you look for those period pieces. You look for those things that tell you about the past. Anyone enjoy those? Yeah. The rest of you just like comedies and stuff? That's, that's all right. Um, history, though, I want to make an argument today. I think that for followers of Jesus, our earliest Christian history is not just interesting, it's actually essential. Understanding our history, the origins of where, as Christians, we come from and, and how it all began is absolutely essential to our, to our faith today. And so we learn so much in history. We learn uh, from our Christian history, so much about who God is, right? We see him at work. We learn about him. We learn so much about who we are as his people. And we also learn about why we're here. And so, so much of the book of Acts is our history. It's the earliest Christian history. That's why we've been going through it to learn and ask these questions. And today, I want to tell you, in Acts chapter 10, we come to a, a passage and a story that is just, it, it just changes things for everything to come in the book of Acts, throughout the Bible, and for the rest of history. And it's such an incredible, incredible story. But there's two things that I think we need to have in mind, all right? Two things to have in mind as we head into reading the passage and exploring it together. The first is an obvious statement. Um, it's the reality that here at Fellowship, we are a very multicultural church. Would you agree? Just look around. You're probably sitting by someone who's from a different nation or a different, their, their primary language is a different language or different culture. Uh, it's very multicultural. We have over 120 nations, part of our church. Uh, who knows if you add up people watching online, what that number would come to. But what other church in the world could say that? Like, that's amazing that this reality happens here in Dubai. So keep that in mind. We're a very multicultural church. But here's the second thing I want you to think about that's maybe not so obvious. It's the reality that, uh, or maybe you didn't know it, it's the reality that when Christianity began, did you know that it began as a primarily monocultural religion. That when Christianity started, it was made up of people from a single people group, a single culture. It was monocultural. Did you know that? And, and so we look, we look at Jesus. Jesus was born into a Jewish family. His first 12 disciples that he called and followed him were also Jewish. They, they, they were Jewish both culturally and religiously. And uh, in the early church, what we see is that when people began to follow Jesus, where did they meet? In the Jewish temple. It was a monocultural religion. Um, but yet, we look at our, what, what's happening today at fellowship, and we realize we're no longer like that. And so that raises a few questions for us. The first question is this, how did that happen? How did Christianity move from being a primarily monocultural religion to a multicultural religion? How did that happen? Like, again, think about who we are today. We're not just all Jewish here. We're from many different countries. And I got to tell you, companies around the world are trying to figure this out. 
And they spend all sorts of money trying to get their companies to be multicultural and to get along. And look at us. We're getting along. For the most part, I hope we're getting along. And so here we are, we're doing what companies would pay to make happen, right? And we have countries that want to become more multicultural. They're inviting many people from other cultures in, and they're trying to figure it out. How, what does it look like for our country to no longer be monocultural, but multicultural? And so here's the question. How did that happen for the church? How did it make that transition? The second question is, uh, is it actually a good thing that it happened? And thirdly, what does that mean for us today? So this is what I want us to have in mind as we explore this amazing story today. How did Christianity become truly multicultural? And so we're going to look at the book of Acts, uh, chapter 10. And I want to tell you up front, I'm going to read a lot of it today because the story is so, uh, so powerful. And Luke, who wrote it, is very intentional with the details and with the specific phrases in it. And I don't want to just summarize that. I want us to actually read it. I want you to see it for yourself. So I'm going to read a lot. I hope that's okay. And uh, I'd invite you to just follow along on the screen or uh, in your Bibles as I read some of it for us and make some, uh, uh, some comments on it. So here we are. Acts chapter 10, verse 1. It begins like this. This is what Luke writes. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. All right. So Cornelius is a key person in today's story. And who is he? Well, it says Cornelius is an army guy, right? Uh, he oversees a centurion, which is a century, means 100. So he's got 100 soldiers under his watch, and he's part of the Roman army, and he was stationed in this beautiful coastal city called uh, Caesarea. And you can see a picture of it there on the screen. It's a beautiful place. And his profession tells us something important about Cornelius. He's in, he's in the army. What does that tell us? It tells us that he is not Jewish. Why? Because the Jewish people were not invited or welcome to be part of the Roman army. So this is what we learn about him. And the Bible has a name for people who are not Jewish. What are they called? Gentiles. Well done. Uh, Gentiles are people who are non-Jews, so you're one or the other. And so Cornelius is, is a, a Gentile. And unless you were born into an ethnically Jewish family, guess what? You're a Gentile as well. And if that's you, Cornelius, he's one of us. All right? And Cornelius seems to be a pretty stand-up guy. He's generous to the needy. He prayed regularly, and, he is, and his households are described as devout and, what's the second word? God-fearing, right? And that's a term that's used in the book of Acts to refer to people who were not Jewish, Gentiles, who actually believed in the Jewish God, but didn't practice Jewish customs and laws, okay? And so they were not Jewish, but they believed in the Jewish God. And, uh, but one day, something wild happens, Verse 3 says, One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius! And Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering, uh, a memorial offering before God. Now, send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. 
And when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants, and he told him everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Now, credit to Cornelius here, okay? Because this is a lot to remember. Remember, he's terrified. He's, he's, staring, at this vision, uh, at, he's staring at this angel. He's terrified. And, and this is a bit confusing. What does it say? Send guys to Joppa, which is over 60 kilometers away, to get Simon, who's staying at another Simon's house, so I want you to get Simon Peter, leave Simon the Tanner. Uh, this is confusing. Got it? Right? And so Cornelius wastes no time. He sends out these servants on a 60-kilometer journey without transportation, and somehow they get there by noon the next day. They were booking it. Okay? Verse 9 says, About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Now, I don't know about you, but when I get a bit hungry, I get a bit hangry, right? Peter, apparently when he gets hungry, he gets a bit trancy. <laughs> but this hunger is really important because God uses Peter's hunger while he's also praying to communicate something really important, really crucial to him. And here's where I need you to be a, a bit of imaginative. I need you to try and picture this as best as you can uh, based on what Luke tells us. Remember, Peter is up on a rooftop. He's really hungry, but he's, he's in a coastal city. Maybe he can see the sea, maybe not. But when he looks out, this is what he sees. Try and picture this. Verse 11. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Are you picturing it? A sheet coming down from the skies. I hope you're not picturing a bed sheet, are you? Because <laughs> that's not nearly big enough. This thing would have been massive. He sees the sheet being lowered uh, with all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds. And this thing would have been massive. This is quite the sight. Now, simply seeing that, wouldn't have been too troubling. It would have been kind of confusing, like, what is happening here? But it wouldn't have been too uh, problematic. But the instruction that he hears definitely would have been an issue. What does he hear? What words? Get up, kill, and eat. And some of you might think, if you're really hungry, you might be like, right on. Let's do it. Maybe not the reptiles. That'd be kind of gross. But but you might think, this is great. But that's not Peter's reaction. Because you've got to understand essentially what Peter hears. When Peter hears that, this is what goes through his brain. Get up, kill, and disobey all the Mosaic commands you've followed carefully from childhood. Huh. He hears, get up, kill, break the Jewish laws. Ultimately, get up, Peter, kill, and defile yourself. That's what's going through his mind. Why? Because the animals that he sees in this, in this sheet and in this vision, they were forbidden by Jewish law. They were impure. They were unclean. They were not kosher. And to eat them would actually be to make himself unclean and impure. And in his mind, that makes him unrighteous. This was not a nice dream. This was a nightmare. Which explains Peter's reply. He said, it's, it says, he says, surely not, Lord. Come on. Like, you and I would have been like, no way. No way, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. 
But the voice rebukes him. The voice spoke to him a second time, and it's what he says. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Three times he hears this. Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Three times, okay? And finally, Peter wakes up and tries to figure out what in the world is going on and what is happening. He's trying to make sense of this. Verse 17 says, while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the, the, uh, the, vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, God spoke to him in that moment and said this, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up, go downstairs, do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. And honestly, I feel for Peter in this moment, because this is, this is really difficult to process. It's a lot to process. But to Peter, his credit, he listens to the Spirit and he follows what God tells him. Verse 21 says that Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? And the men replied, we have come from Cornelius, the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. And a holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. Now, this is what we might call a divinely arranged meeting. <laughs> God set this up. Have you ever had that before? Where you're going about in life and you, you have some interaction, you run into someone on the street, or you, you have this conversation with someone, and it's exactly what you needed to hear. Or it's, that, it's, it's like, wow, God set this meeting up. Well, this is what God does here between Peter and these guys. It is a divinely orchestrated meeting. God is on the move. He was doing something, and as we're going to see, Peter knows it. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea, and Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Remember, Cornelius, a day and a half earlier, he's had this vision. He's probably wondering, like, when are these guys going to get here? I can't wait to hear. What, what are they going to tell me? What's it going to be like? So what does he do? He, he, he is expecting them. He'd called together his relatives and close friends. Come on over, guys. Come on. There's going to be something amazing that happens here. And as Peter entered the house, it says, Cornelius met him and fell on, at his feet in reverence. And I just love Peter's response. Remember, this is the apostle Peter here. He's a big deal. But Peter, the amazing leader that he is, he made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. I love that. What a godly, humble leader he is, isn't it? It's like he's an apostle. He could have easily said, yep, that's the right position to be in. Well done, well done. He's like, no, get up, man. You and I, we're just, we're just men. We're all servants of God. Just get up. Let's talk face to face. And, uh, and so that's what he does. And, uh, but this is where the cultural importance of this passage really comes in. And understanding the culture of the Bible, why it's so helpful for us. Verse 27 says, While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. Now, I know there's a whole bunch more text on the screen right now. Stop looking at it. Stop. Stop. Okay. Stop there for a second. This is important. Peter went in. He goes inside, and what he does is he addresses the elephant in the room. Do you guys know that saying? 
uh, the elephant room, that means that like, if there was an elephant on the stage with me right now, I would have to talk about it because otherwise you could be like, does he know there's an elephant on the, sta- on the room? So he addresses the elephant in the room and it's so important and it's something that probably you and I wouldn't recognize uh, just from reading the text alone, but this is what is going on. It's so easy for us to miss. It's the fact that up to this point in history, Jews and non-Jews, or the Gentiles, uh, they stuck to themselves. In fact, Jews were forbidden from eating and going into the home of a non-Jew, of a Gentile. And so get this, this is probably one of the first times that Peter has entered the home of a Gentile. And this is one of the first times probably that these Gentiles have welcomed into their home a Jew. And they all know it. This is awkward. And so what does Peter do? He addresses it. He says to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or even visit a Gentile, but God. Great words. We're going to see it a couple times in this passage. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without hesitate, without raising any objection. May I ask why you have sent for me? See, sometime between Peter's vision and arriving there at Cornelius' house, Peter's put two and two together, and he's figured out the meaning of that, all of what's going on here, and he's realized what God is teaching him. That impure and unclean are no longer categories that we should think of people in. Okay? See, one of the main issues between Jews and Gentiles was not just a belief issue, like what do you believe in? It was one of purity. Uh, Jews considered the Gentiles to be unclean or impure and therefore fundamentally unrighteous. And and it's because, in particular, of their lifestyles, what they ate. But Peter, a follower of Jesus, out of the Jewish peoples, realizes, wait, 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 wait. God doesn't want me to think in those categories anymore. He doesn't want me to think of Gentiles like that or treat them like that anymore. So he says, here I am. What can I do for you? And Cornelius goes on. I'm just going to summarize this. And he, just, he, he explains everything that's happened to him. But he finishes by saying this. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. What an incredible posture that Cornelius has in his heart. He's the first time having a Jewish background person in his home. But he welcomes him in. He humbles himself and says, hey, listen, we're hungry to know. What does God have for us? What does God want to tell me? What, what do you have for me, right? What a beautiful posture. And the words Peter speaks next are some of the most game-changing words in the New Testament and, and that set the scene and transition things for the rest of the book of Acts, the rest of the New Testament, and the rest of history up until 23, to the point where you and I from 120 different nations can be sitting in this room together. It's because of this what Peter realizes. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Hmm. I now get it, Peter says. The truth is that God does not show favoritism. He does not value one nation over another. He does not value one culture over another. He does not have preference for one language over another. He doesn't show favoritism. 
He has no favorites. Instead, he accepts, he welcomes, he embraces, he, he pours out his love on people from every nation to those who fear him and do what is right. Friends, this is as true today as it was back then. God does not show favoritism. His gospel is for everyone. God does not show favoritism. The gospel is for everyone. And until this point in the book of Acts, the followers of Jesus had yet to really understand this, to embrace this, to live this out. They were a monocultural religion that was about to become a multicultural movement. Now, notice what Peter doesn't say in here. He doesn't say, now, I realize how true it is that God no longer shows favoritism. He doesn't say that, does he? He doesn't suggest it was God who had a change of heart. He doesn't suggest it was God who changed his plans. Oh, now I'll accept the Gentiles. No, no, no. It's not, it's not God who changed. Peter realizes that it was he and the believers who needed to change. They needed to understand. See, see, God didn't change his approach. This was always his plan. It was always his plan that, for, that his eternal family would be made up of people from every tribe, every nation, every language, from all cultures. You can go right back to uh, Abraham, Genesis 12. Remember that story? What is Abraham? What does his name mean? Father of many nations or all nations. Yeah. What an incredible name. And God said, hey, listen, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. Why? So that all peoples on earth will be blessed through him. That was the plan. Why? Because God does not show favorites. His blessings are for everyone. We see it in the Old Testament prophets. You go on. Isaiah is a great example of this, where, where this prophecy comes on the people of Israel, and, and it says, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. God's people were chosen by God in order that they would be a light to the nations, to the Gentiles. Why? Because God does not show favoritism. His salvation is for everyone. And really, it shouldn't have surprised Peter and the early uh, Jewish Christians, because earlier in Acts, what did we see in week one of this, of this, of this series? Acts chapter one, verse eight. We see what Jesus told them. He said, hey, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's right. And a bunch of that was already happening. We've seen in the last few chapters, we've seen the gospel spread to Jerusalem. We saw because of persecution that the gospel went out to Judea and Samaria. We see the church being established and people coming into the family of God. Um, but Jesus' followers had yet to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And here's the reality. God knew that they wouldn't. God knew they wouldn't do it on their own, not until they realized that he does not favor one culture or one nation over another. Not till he learned that people don't need to become Jewish in order to experience the full blessings of God. And that's what Peter learned on this day. So what does he do? He goes on and he tells them the gospel. I want to read this. He says, You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, and how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem, and they killed him by hanging him on a cross 
But God, there's those words again. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He's not seen by all people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. And all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. What does Peter just explain there? The gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ, about how through his life and his death and through his resurrection and how belief in Jesus and all that he's done, how that results in the forgiveness of sins. And this is what happens. While Peter was still speaking these words, he's still talking, this happens. The Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Isn't this incredible? The gospel message was so powerful, so timely, and it was given to such an eager and waiting and hungry group of people that when they heard it, when they heard the message and heard about Jesus, they believed it. And without Peter even asking them, hey, does anyone want to put their faith in Jesus? You know, he doesn't even have to ask them that in this moment. The gospel is so powerful that, that God changes their hearts. The Holy Spirit comes on them and fills them. And as a sign of their transformation, they begin speaking in tongues and praising God. See, not only does God accept people from every nation, but he makes them full participants in all of his blessings. There are no second-class Christians. There's no culture that is a second-class culture in Christianity. There's no language that's a second-class language in Christianity. The Jewish Christians there uh, with Peter are shocked that the Holy Spirit was poured out even on Gentiles. They didn't anticipate that. And Peter's like, listen, you can't deny this. We've got to baptize these people. They're no different than us Jewish Christians. What a powerful, powerful moment in the history of Christianity. What happens next is we get to chapter 11. I'm not going to read this right now, but what happens is we realize that some people who heard about this back in Jerusalem, the apostles and some other Jewish Christians, they're not exactly happy about it. But what they're not happy about it, if you read the stories, it's, it's not that they're upset that he shared the gospel with them. They're upset that he went and ate in the home of a Gentile. <laughs> but Peter goes on and he, he ends up explaining to them everything. He talks about the vision. He explains to them about uh, meeting these guys and about going there and sharing the gospel and what God has done uh, through, through giving them the Spirit. And in verse 17, he, he, he wraps it up. He says, So if God gave the same gift he gave us, who believed in Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? God was on the move, and Peter realized, I got to get out of the way. I got to let God do his thing. I cannot be a barrier to what God wants to do. Anyone here want to stand in God's way? Of course not. 
No way. When God is on the move, the best thing for us to do is to get out of the way, do your thing, God, and then join him in what he's doing. Get on board with what God is doing. And the story ends in verse 18. says, when they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, get this, so then even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Even to Gentiles, even to the outsiders, even to the people we view as unclean, even to the least expected, even to our enemies, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Why? Because God does not show favoritism. The gospel is for everyone. What an incredible story, isn't it? God arranged this meeting between Peter and Cornelius to unleash the gospel from a single nation, from a single culture, to every culture. We see then from this point on in Acts that the gospel begins to move. It becomes more and more multicultural. And throughout history, it's become more and more multicultural to the fact of where we are today. We're a result of this, of the gospel becoming more and more multicultural. But let me just tell you this. We're not, this isn't the end game. Because in Revelation 7, we actually see what God's ultimate vision is. It's not, it's not a multicultural group of people. It's an all-cultural group of people worshiping before God from every tribe, nation, tongue, uh, worshiping, standing before the throne of God, worshiping him. That's the day in the future that's to come. That's the trajectory that we're on. And I hope you see that, that we're here at Fellowship today as a very largely multicultural church because God's plan from the beginning was to unleash the gospel from a single culture to every culture. Are you grateful for that today? That's why you're here today because of what God revealed, because of that divine appointment, because of what God did in his church and through his church. And that's why at Fellowship, we say all the time, we are a church for everyone. And we really believe that. We are a church for everyone, no matter what culture, no matter what background. Why? Because you matter to God. We see that here. He doesn't show favorites, so we don't want to show favorites either. Every culture matters to God. Every person matters to God, so you matter to us. But just like Cornelius, you know, at the beginning of that story, Cornelius, what was he? He was an outsider. He was an outsider to the family of God still. He was a godly guy. He believed in God. He, he was really generous. He did a lot of good religious things, but he was still an outsider. And some of us, we hear this story, and reality is you may feel like an outsider. You may feel a bit like a Cornelius, like, yeah, I'm here today, but I'm actually an outsider. To, I haven't experienced the full blessings of God. We want to tell you that just like Cornelius, the power of the gospel is powerful enough to transform your heart and to welcome you to fully embrace you into the people of God. And as we've seen here, all that requires is not becoming a different culture. That's not the answer. The answer is embracing the gospel of what Jesus has done for you. That's it. You don't have to change your culture at all. God loves you in your culture but he wants to invite you into his family by trusting in what Jesus has done for, your, for you. And fellowship, listen, all of us need to keep taking steps. Often we say the journey of following Christ is not a, you're, you know, you get to Christ and then you're done. No, every day we want to take one step closer to Jesus. One step closer to Jesus. That's the walk with Jesus, okay? And for some of us, the step today might be to say, hey, I'm an outsider, but I, you know what? I want to be part of this movement, and I want to be a part of God's family for eternity. We would love, love, love to pray with you and help you take that next first step. 
Just come talk with our prayer team after the service. We would love to help you take that step. But for all of us, and followers of Jesus, there's a step for us to take as well today. And I think it's, it's a question I want to throw out there that I really hope we don't take lightly. I think it's a question we have to ask when wrestling with a passage like this. And honestly, it's a, it's a question that probably when you hear it, your immediate thought is going to be like, no, that's not me. I'm, this doesn't apply to me. But I just really want to encourage you to take the time and ask the Spirit of God to do a work in your heart and show you if that's actually not the case. And this is, this is the question. Church, is there any group of people that maybe, just maybe, that we show even a hint of favoritism towards or discriminate against? Either within our fellowship here or on the outside in the world. Is there any group any nationality, any, any language group, any culture, any tribe that we either intentionally, because of stuff that's been done to us in the history of our nations or tribes, and it's just been built into us and we've chosen to carry that mantle intentionally or unintentionally, maybe we don't even realize it, that we potentially show favoritism towards or discriminate against. You know, it might actually be helpful to think of that question in light of a, a hypothetical situation. And the situation to think about is actually what Peter went through. Because when he walked into that door and he took that step into Cornelius' house, that was an intentional decision for him to realize, you know, I'm doing this. Like, I'm going in. Previously, there was a wall, there was a barrier here, but I'm going to break that barrier down right now. And he went in and shared a meal. And I want to ask you, is is there a group of people that you would hesitate to have over to your house for a meal? Ooh, what if someone finds out? What if my family back home finds out that I had that person from that nation over to my house? Or is there a people or, or a race or a language that you would hesitate, uh, alarm bells would go off or something wouldn't feel right if they invited you over to their house that maybe you would hesitate from? Or let's take it a step further. What if you weren't here in Dubai where it's a little easier to be multicultural? What if you think back to your home context? Is there, is there a person from a different tribe or a different race or a different culture that you would hesitate to take a selfie with and to put online? Because what if people see? And there's a little bit of discrimination there, a little bit of favoritism. These are the kind of questions I really hope that we'll take seriously. Why? Because for followers of Jesus, there is absolutely no room for this in our faith. Think about who we are and who we were. We were all enemies of God. We were all outsiders. We were all unclean. We were all defiled. And yet God brought us in while we were dead in our sins. He reached out and saved us. How could we not do the same for others? This is a really important issue for followers of Jesus. The truth is that in God's family, actually, I want to show you these flags. This is really helpful. Look at these flags here. Now, which flag are you looking for right now? <laughs> You're looking for your own flag. Okay. So you, got, you found your flag. Great. Hopefully you found it. It's pretty small. But, but where is the flag of the country that catches your eye where you say, oh, even them? Even them? What, is God asking me even to love and to be willing to accept and embrace people from that country? Listen, the gospel was for even them, even the Gentiles. The truth is that in God's family, Galatians 3, I want you to say this verse with me. Galatians 3 says, 
There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen? Friends, God does not show favoritism. Amen. He doesn't show favoritism. He doesn't discriminate. And so how could we? And so if we recognize even just a hint of that in our hearts, and the Holy Spirit's saying, hey, there's someone there. There's some group there. I just want to encourage all of us today. Friends, let's deal with that today. Let's not let that go another day. There's no place in the heart of a follower of Jesus for that because the gospel is for everyone. So let's confess that to the Lord. Maybe even today as we're here and we finish up our service, take some time to confess that to the Lord. Acknowledge it before him. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just. He will forgive you for that. But then let's not just ask forgiveness. Let's do something about it this week. I want to encourage you this week to pray for that nation or pray for that culture, pray for that language, pray for that people group, pray for that tribe that you struggle with. Pray for God's blessing on them, for God to draw them closer to himself. But then go beyond prayer. I want to encourage you to take action and actually intentionally look for ways this week to be with people from that group. Break down those barriers. If we're not willing to do that, what are we doing? We're standing in God's way. And just like Peter said, who am I to stand in God? I got to get out of the way. Church, let's, let's not just this be an, a mindset change. Let's, let's let this inform our actions. Let's be transformed by the truth that we've heard here today. And I know that your small group, hopefully you're in a small group, will encourage you along in this because you're going to need some people to pray for you and hold you accountable in this. But I just want to say this as we close, that fellowship, I love our church. I absolutely love it what God is doing here. I love how multicultural we are, 120 nations, praise God. But, but hear this, there are 200 nations in Dubai and far more cultures and languages that are, that are represented among us. And so let's not just be content with 120. Let's, let's keep that vision of Revelation 7 in our mind and say, yeah, we're multicultural, but really we'd love to see the body of Christ in Dubai be all cultural. To see people from every nation, whoever God brings here, from whatever nation, our heart is to see all nations come into a relationship with God. And for that to happen, it's going to take far more than sensitivity training at your workplace. It's going to take the power of the gospel being unleashed in your hearts, in your family, in our church, and in the city. And so let's pray for that. Let's pray for that as families, as small groups. Let's pray for the gospel of Jesus that shows no favoritism to go forward into every culture here in Dubai and around the world. God is on the move. He is on the move and he won't stop moving until people from every nation, tribe, language, and people are part of his family. And he wants to move through us. So let's not stand in his way. Let's join him. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we just acknowledge today that you are a God that loves all people. So much, God, that you loved us. You drew us to yourself when we were still enemies, and we cannot thank you enough for that. And thank you that you value and you love each of our cultures and each of our languages, each of our our, uh, ethnicities. You created us like that. You formed us like that, and you love that. So thank thank you that there's no one here that's a second-class Christian. But we pray, Lord, that you would use us now as as we experience the blessings of a relationship with you, that you would use us to be a barrier breakers 
to be people who, who fight against favoritism, who fight injustice by showing love to all people. And so, Lord, convict our hearts. Show, if there's, show us if there's any way in which we need to repent and turn in terms of our attitudes and actions towards other groups of people. And we pray for fellowship, and we pray for the city, that your gospel would powerfully transform lives and that many, many, many people from many other countries and, and, uh, and, and languages and cultures would come into your family because we know you will be glorified in that. We will experience joy in that and your blessings will go forward through that. And so we pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. <laughs>